This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso here from CBSSports.com, and you are listening to the Prospect Podcast. Today is Monday, August 31st. We're a day away from September and less than two weeks away from the start of the NFL season, which is, to me, both crazy and amazing at the same time. Jumping right in, the two biggest pieces of news yesterday, I want to talk about those. First, the Yannick Ngakwe trade. I said it a few episodes ago that I wouldn't have traded more than a second round of pick and some change for Yannick Ngakwe, and that's what the Vikings did. And it's not surprising this close to the season and the fact that he had publicly come out on Twitter and said he did not want to be with the Jaguars, and the Jaguars made it abundantly clear that they didn't have Ngakwe in their long-term plans, that a second and a conditional fifth was all that they were able to get for him this close to the season. I think he's a good edge rusher. He's a player that is predicated, his game is predicated on high motor and explosiveness off the line. There's not a ton of pass rushing moves. He can play with some power. He's not completely stagnant with his hands. Like He, he knows how to use them to a certain degree. Um, but I think a lot of his production has come from a great jump off the snap, a lot of speed to power, a lot of just velocity around the corner. Uh, and he entered a Jaguars team that had Calais Campbell, that had really good defensive tackles. I don't know if he's necessarily a player who can be a 1A edge rusher on a team, which is perfect for him going to Minnesota because Donnell Hunter's there, the Vikings lose Everson Griffin in free agency, and now they pick up someone two weeks away from the season that can be that 1B to Donnell Hunter. They also lost Linval Joseph, Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, of course, Stefan Diggs on the offensive side. Uh, so this is a team that still can compete in the NFC North. Actually, uh, for my staff picks for CBS Sports, we just sent them in uh, earlier this week, or late last week, I should say. Uh, and a, a, it was mostly just a collection of some betting picks that we made. And I actually had the Vikings, I think at plus 110, as the team to not make the playoffs. Like we had a... Uh, like that was one of the categories and 
this is obviously before the Yannick Ngakwe trade, but I thought, you know, this team just lost so much on the defensive side. I think they'll be good, but the NFC is still ultra competitive. Uh, and that just looked like a bet that stood out to me. I think this moves the needle a little bit. Uh, and of course, will help that defense because Ngakwe, again, can be a good 1B edge rusher. Uh, he still has fresh legs, and that's what his game is predicated on. He's not a finesse player at all. I don't know if it pushes them. I mean, I don't think I would pick them as my best bet uh, or the best value selection to not make the playoffs at plus 110. Uh, but it's a good move for both sides. The Jaguars now have 11 picks in the 2021 NFL draft, two first rounders, two second rounders, Jalen Ramsey trade uh, and this trade. So this is a team that, uh, which weirdly, and I just wrote about this today, it'll be up, it's up on CBSSports.com this morning. Uh, that David Caldwell, the Jaguars GM, unless, which it could be, it, it wouldn't be shocking if he gets fired after the season, if the Jaguars go three and 13 or four and 12, but he is very close to being a GM that gets to orchestrate two rebuilding processes for the same team. That like never happens. He was the GM when they picked Blake Bortles in 2014 and they Built the defense pretty well. They drafted Allen Robinson. They had uh, Leonard Fournette in that AFC title game. They were very close and one blown call away from going to the Super Bowl with Blake Bortles as their quarterback. Um, but normally, if the rebuilding process fails and the quarterback fails, the GM isn't retained. And Dave Caldwell has actually held on to his job. So that would be very interesting to see if the Jaguars' ownership gives him another crack at rebuilding this team. Um uh, the article that I wrote, just sizing up their roster um, and writing at every position, the players that I think would be worth keeping at least into 2021 or long term, and then looks at a draft strategy of what they should prioritize early in the 2021 draft. And for as much as I really liked Gardner Minshew last year, was pleasantly surprised with how well he played for being a sixth round pick, and then to get benched and then to come back the last few games and just say, hey, no big deal, I got benched, and just play with the same kind of reckless abandon, but big uh, playability outside the pocket when improvising. I was really impressed with him. The Jaguars have to pick a quarterback early. That Minshew, unless Minshew is an offensive player of the year candidate, which I don't think he'll be because I don't think the Jaguars are going to win a lot of games. Um, but if they do and Minshew's the reason and he looks like the next Tony Romo, they could maybe think about not picking a quarterback but with his athletic physical limit and physical limitations um if you're picking a guy in the top five you can't pick any other position really besides quarterback to me if you're dave caldwell if you're running the show whoever's running the show for the jaguars there's trevor lawrence there's justin fields you have the ammo to move up um read that article now at cbssports.com uh it's a very detailed look and spent a lot of time looking at that jaguars roster and deciding who I would keep, who I would just say, hey, you're a veteran, you're getting into your 30s, uh, you're making a lot of money. Andrew Norwell, the guard that was a big free agent signing for them a few years ago, played well in his first season in Jacksonville. Last year, he didn't. Uh, and in 2021, his cap hit is $15 million. If he doesn't play well this season, I would say goodbye to him. I would be done with him as you. And they do have the second most cap space um, entering 2021. It's going to be about $40 million less than what it would have been had we seen the normal increase 
in the salary cap that the there's a, a, a the lowest the salary cap will be next year is 175 million. It's been over 200 million, uh, or this was the first year that it was over 200 million, I th- think, or it's right at 200 million. Um, and there was projections that it was going to be 210, 215, uh, but now obviously with coronavirus and the financial damage that that's going to do on the NFL, it's going to be lower. But the Jaguars were are set to have the second most cap space, so it's not as though the team needs to create room with cutting someone like Andrew Norwell next season. Um, but if he's not in the long-term plans, I don't see the the need necessarily to keep him around unless he does play better in 2020. But look at that or check that article on CBSSports.com. Even if you're not a Jaguars fan, it's a good look ahead to the draft, how many picks they have, who they could select, and just their overall roster. They, they need a lot of work. Um, the other bit of news yesterday that was, I guess, big news, not surprising news, Jamar Chase, LSU wide receiver, opting out of the 2020 college football season. Uh, I did a quick instant reaction video to this news on Twitter yesterday. Not surprised whatsoever. I mean, he's the consensus number one wide receiver in this draft class. Um, Really only one year of elite production, of course, last season with Joe Burrow. Um, But to overshadow Justin Jefferson, uh, who went in the first round in April, um, really says it all. That's just kind of the general takeaway. You can say, look, this guy was better than Justin Jefferson in just about every game. Maybe outside of that Texas game where Justin Jefferson had a couple touchdowns and that big one to, to really put that game on ice, Jamar Chase was just the better receiver. And and if you're looking at beyond the statistics, looking at it from a scouting perspective, I think Jamar Chase was considerably better than Justin Jefferson. Route running, beating press at the line, uh, and when I say route running, I mean running a variety of routes, contested catch situations. Justin Jefferson did have a high rate of contested catch wins, um, but a lot of those were just Joe Burrow putting the ball in a perfect spot where the cornerback jumped for the ball and it just went right into Justin Jefferson's hands. But this is not to knock Justin Jefferson. That's not the point of this. Um, I just thought Jamar Chase was a, a better prospect. Uh, more speed, even though Justin Jefferson did run, I think, 445, 446, at the Combine. Um, he has good speed. Uh, and outstanding after the catch. That, to me, anyone watching the film, there were times where Justin Jefferson made uh, some big plays after the catch, that Texas game being one of them, that, that long touchdown at the end of the game, broke a tackle and then accelerated down the field. But I think game to game in the SEC, Jamar Chase just showed of well-round, of complete skill set, well-rounded, uh, could really do anything that LSU and, and that and offensive coordinator now of the Panthers, Joe Brady, asked of him. Um I don't know if he's crazy fast. I think that was the one thing that he maybe could have shown or proven at LSU this year. But he connected with Joe Burrow down the field so many times in the national title game against first-round pick A.J. Terrell, in the SEC against quality competition, a lot of which will play in the NFL soon enough. That I don't know. I mean, he was not going to have the statistical season that he had last year. There was just no way that was going to happen. And even if there were some plays where he showed a little bit more speed, um, he wasn't going to hit as many long touchdowns. He's an elite separator already, uh, knows how to beat press at the line, like I said. It it just really didn't make any sense for him to come back when he was already draft eligible. Uh, There's still coronavirus, uh, of course, especially in the South, it seems a little more concentrated. And then just the risk of injury. I I don't think it was... was really worth it for him. He is the front runner right now to be the first wide receiver off the board. But what's interesting 
with him opting out right now, if the draft was tomorrow, Jamar Chase would be the first wide receiver off the board. But now a lot of these other players, Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle from Alabama, uh, Rashad Bateman already opted out and the Big Ten wasn't going to play. Um, but there's other wide receivers who could potentially move ahead of him. If Jalen Waddle has this fantastic season, another player, explosive. Uh, I think he's even more explosive than Jamar Chase. He might be the most explosive um, wide receiver in college football. Shows that he can play after the catch, can play on the outside a little bit, not just a slot receiver. That was a good thing about Chase, too. He wasn't just relegated to the slot. He played outside a bit and won against, I mean, he really took Trevon Diggs uh, to school in that Alabama LSU game. A six foot two outside cornerback who goes in the second round, good player. That watching that game when scouting Trevon Diggs, I was like, man, Jamar Chase really just undressed him in this game. It kind of knocked down my grade for uh, Trevon Diggs, who otherwise was very suffocating in the SEC against wide receivers. It'll just be interesting to see um, if there's any other receivers who can push themselves ahead of Jamar Chase um, in this draft class. I don't think it's as good of a receiver group um, as 2020, but it's close. 2019 was still, was, was pretty good too. Um, I mean, that's just, and I've said it a bunch of times, that's just how it's going to be in in college football. We're going to be send, they're going to be sending a lot of really good wide receivers to the NFL. So we're going to have good wide receiver draft classes. Um, but right now he's odds on favorite. He'll probably end as the odds on favorite, uh, Jamar chase, no surprise that he's entering the NFL draft. And one draft side of things is to stay on that topic. Uh, I talked about the edge rusher class a few episodes ago that I was pleasantly surprised with that group as a whole. You know what group is really good uh, before the season in my preseason evaluations? The tight end class. We've had a couple tight end classes in a row that haven't been great. Or I guess just last year. 2019 was pretty good with Noah Fan, TJ Hawkinson. Um... But last year's was not very good. Uh, Cole Komet was the first one drafted in the second round. I think we're going to see some first-rounders at the tight end position in the 2021 draft class. Kyle Pitts, to me, from Florida, is the best tight end in this class. That He looks like a wide receiver. He's big. Doesn't have, like, a spindly frame. He just looks like, I don't know, in his prime Vincent Jackson out there can really separate for a tight end. And I'm talking short level of the field, intermediate level, and down the field. Gigantic catch radius. Uh, He, to me, was the best, most consistent receiver on that Florida team last year that had Van Jefferson, that had Freddie Swain. Uh, NFL players that had route running savvy that that were obvious that they were going to be in the NFL, and they were both drafted. So that was telling to me. I mean, talk about what Justin or that Jamar Chase overshadowed Justin Jefferson, a first round pick. The fact that Kyle Pitts as a sophomore was the most reliable receiver on a team with two future NFL players um, was very indicative of just how talented he is. He has, I'm not going to say David Njoku type athleticism, but I think it's close. I think he's more polished than Njoku was, but kind of that same body type. I don't know if he's as chiseled as Njoku, but like 6'5", 245, very much a physique of a big wide receiver. Uh, and he just projects very well to the NFL today. I, I don't know how much he's going to block for you, but I don't 
think teams care about that as much as they used to. Kyle Pitts from Florida is the headliner. Really like his game. Um, Brent, or Pat Fryermuth uh, from Penn State, similar type player, not quite as twitched up and ex- as explosive, but very good after the catch. I mean, he's a train once he gets the ball in his hands. There is some agility to his game as well. Not going to drop a lot of passes either. Not necessarily going to separate uh, a ton, but I think he has enough juice to create some separation just on, in that 10 to 19-yard range where really that's where you get the difference makers at the tight end spot. A lot of tight ends can you know, be schemed open on those rollout, those those play-action rollouts, can pick up six yards, they see a linebacker, they kind of fall down or they, they are hit and they instantly go to the ground. Fryermuth is not that type of tight end. There's more athleticism to his game. Late in the draft process in April, uh, it was reported that Fryermuth actually could enter the 2020 draft because he spent like a year at a prep school, so he actually was three years removed from high school. Um, But he's someone, we're not going to get to see him playing in the Big Ten this year unless they miraculously uh, salvage their season. But he, to me, looks like someone that could go in the late first round because he can block a little bit, um, but you're going to draft him for his receiving prowess. Uh, a few others that I want to talk about, and these are, I don't know if they're all going to go in the first round, but I just think collectively in the first 50 to 75 picks, there's better players at the tight end spot than there were last year or this this past draft class. Um, Brevin Jordan from Miami, I think he, he kind of reminds me of like Kyle Pitts light, that he has that sleek frame. He's a receiving tight end, uh, good at breaking tackles, not going to be complacent just falling down. He's just not as explosive, doesn't have the dynamic athleticism that Kyle Pitts has. Uh, I think Pitts has a bigger catch radius um, than Brevin Jordan, but he's someone in the ACC this year at Miami, if he pieces together a quality season, and I think he very well could, um, we could be talking about him as potentially a second round pick uh, and maybe even an early second round pick because I do think the athleticism is there. I think he's on, he's right around Pat uh, Fryermuth, not necessarily the same body type as him, uh, but someone that could be that H-back type um, who can threaten the seam slightly, but really short to intermediate area and yards after the catch are very good. Like that's where he's going to excel in the NFL. So Brevin Jordan is another name from Miami uh, and two others that I need to talk about because I think they are quality tight end talents. Uh, Charlie Kolar from Iowa State. He's a kind of your classic tight end. I mean, that's kind of a throwback system that they run there, at least on offense. On defense, they're doing a lot of innovative things at Iowa State. But on offense, um, he's like 6'6", 6'7", and just outstanding in contested catch situations. Just watching Brock Purdy over the summer, uh, who does a lot of things well mentally with the processing, just doesn't have the physical tools to be a top prospect, in my opinion. And watching him, this Kolar, constantly, they're just throwing it up to him, back shoulder, or just when he wasn't really open, when it was Brock Purdy wasn't afraid to make tight window throws. And I think Charlie Kolar really uh, helped his completion percentage be relatively high because he made a lot of difficult grabs um, when he wasn't able to really create a ton of separation down the seam or on an intermediate, just a stick route where he just turns around. Um, So I, I really like how physical he is. And just he was dominant in those contested catch situations. It's, we've kind of gotten to the point where the NFL has moved away from not necessarily having a contested catch tight end, but not necessarily picking that 
type of player in the first round. Like Tyler Eifert went in the first round 2013, and, and really at Notre Dame, they just threw it up to him all the time, and he came down with everything. Um, I don't know if Kolar is that type of athlete either, um, but I don't. he's not super stiff. He's not uh, slow and sluggish. There is some juice to his game as well. Uh, so I, I think at his size with his contested catchability that he really rebounds the football plays to every single inch of his frame and that there is some athleticism to him and he's been productive, uh, and he's going to, uh, continue to be productive this season in the big 12 because Brock Purdy is now an established quarterback, uh, that is going to look for his tight end often. I think he could move up boards and be one of the safer, but maybe lower ceiling players at the tight end position. The last guy I, I need to talk about, Brant Cuthie uh, from Utah, that he's a former high school running back, which I'm sure there's some tight ends in college football that played running back in high school. But I remember reading that in his Utah bio and then watching his film, and I was like, oh, yeah, you can see that this guy was not a fullback wearing a neck roll that just carried the football close to his chest and just lowered his head. He was making defenders miss uh, on a consistent basis with like running back style jukes in the open field. He's needs to add some weight. Uh, and again, we aren't going to see him cause he was set to play obviously in the pac 12, which is a bummer because he was the most consistent option on that Utah team. That was very Zach Moss predicated, uh, Tyler Huntley, their quarterback, was very efficient. There was a lot of play action, but it was mostly run the football, run the football, play action pass, deep shot down the field. Didn't have the talent um, that Florida had when I was talking about Kyle Pitts overshadowing uh, Van Jefferson and Freddie Swain. But you kept watching Utah film and you kept seeing, man, this Kuthi tight end is not only uh, stretching the field on occasion, but there's throwing him swing passes they're getting him the ball uh, on those very easy high completion or high percentage play action rollouts in the flat and then he is like jump cutting linebackers and just leaving them whiffing at air he's like 6'3 235 I think he was listed at last year he could add some weight um, and they did ask him to block a little bit I I didn't think he was a great blocker he's not going to move people in the NFL I'm fine with that. His contested catch or his yards after the catch ability through the roof. I think it's as good as any tight end in the, in college football. Uh, so to see how he tests, because I think he's actually pretty fast too. Um, there were some times where after he made someone miss, he was able to really step on the gas and get up to top speed pretty quickly. He's not this uh, slow-moving tight end whatsoever. And I think, again, if he was coming into the league 10 years ago, he probably wouldn't get drafted or he'd probably be a seventh-round pick. I think because of the yards after the catch ability, what we've seen, how this position has changed, really with Rob Gronkowski and then to Travis Kelsey and then now George Kittle, being able to throw your tight end a five-yard pass and have him just be a size mismatch and have the athleticism to stiff arm a linebacker, uh, run through a safety and pick up 10 more yards is so valuable to an offense, especially like personnel wise. When those teams see two tight ends on the field, they go, okay, we, this is a run, probably going to be a run play. We've seen a, a push in that 12 personnel, one running back, two tight ends, because it's really can disguise what a team wants to do. It, it's a run formation traditionally, but now if you have tight ends that can spring off the line and make plays, there's a mismatch with a linebacker or a safety, 
And again, teams just don't know what type of play is coming. That's a huge benefit to a team. So Brant Kuthi, I think I'm saying that right. It's K-U-I-T-H-E. If I'm not, um, leave a comment, let me know. But I was just, it was fun watching his film. He didn't have a ton of catches, um, but he averaged like 17 yards per catch. There were some big plays down the field where you saw some speed in the Pac-12. And then just his ability after the catch was outstanding. So the tight end class, it's a lot to be excited about. We went into last year's draft class or last year's college football season not really being super encouraged with the tight end group, and it ended up kind of falling flat. It wasn't really that great, didn't exceed expectations. This tight end class, I think, can be really good, and it's not a bunch of maulers. It's tight ends that are perfectly suited for the NFL, that I think that's what colleges are doing. They're splitting out their tight ends a lot at slot receivers. They're almost playing them as big wideouts, and that's what the NFL has moved to because college has been there for about a decade now. Uh, so those tight ends, Kyle Pitts, Pat Fryermuth, Brevin Jordan, Charlie Kolar, who's the most throwback of the group, and Brant Cuthy, a fun top five for my tight ends. Uh, and one last thing. Later this week, Thursday, I will have my Prospects I Love piece that will show my top 32, updated top 32 after watching film this summer. I'm not sure who I'm going to pick yet. Like three to five players that I can highlight or, or prospects I can highlight that I really love maybe more than, than the consensus. And as usual, there's there's quite a few of them. Um, and I know there's not a ton of big boards out there, but just there's a few players that I seem to like more than the few big boards that I have seen, um, and I will feature them. Ryan Wilson and Josh Edwards will, will also have those articles up this week of their kind of guys that, they're, that they would go to bat for if the draft was today um, in the 2021 draft class. All right, that'll do it for me today. I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening. Get really into your favorite shows and movies all in one place with Flex, a 4K streaming box you get free with Xfinity Internet. Find what you want with your voice on Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, and more. No more jumping in and out of apps. And get Peacock Premium at no additional cost. It's a way better way to watch. Learn more at Xfinity.com Flex. Restrictions apply requires postpaid Xfinity Internet excluding Internet essentials, one device included. Subscriptions required to access streaming services.